Thank you, Brother David, very much. I was... You know, have you ever just, like, noticed the obvious and you feel like you need to call attention to the obvious because sometimes the obvious isn't too obvious? Well, that's how I feel about the music tonight. You know, we sing about God's grace and about the deep, deep love of Jesus, and we say, oh, yeah, I know Jesus loves me, but do we really understand how much he loves us and how much he cares for us? It's really quite, quite amazing. And I think David caught my eye, and I just think when we're singing about the grace of God, how wonderful, how incredible that is. It's not on my performance. And that leads us right into the message. What I wanted to do is now, y'all, I think most of y'all, we got some guests tonight, but most of y'all were here this morning, and we talked about John the Baptist. There were a couple takeaways I wanted you to really grab, and I'll just reiterate just a little bit because I really wanted you to get those. This morning, I thought the message was one of those pivotal messages for believers in Jesus Christ particularly because I know how I wrestle, and I've got a feeling I'm up by myself, how we all wrestle sometimes with doubt. And we talked about how John the Baptist was in prison. He was looking through the bars uh, of his prison cell. And somehow Jesus had not met their expectations or his expectations. Somehow Jesus had not quite measured up. John was such a, a, a fiery preacher. And he just fully expected, I think, Jesus to come on the stage and be like him. Because he, he talked about his winnowing fan. You know, he talked about his winnowing fan. Uh, we'll, we'll gather in the wheat to his barn and the fire, will, you know, the quenching fires will burn the chaff. And I think he expected John to be like that, or Jesus to be like that, and he wasn't. And, and it really confused him, I think. And so he sent the guys to John, to Jesus, and say, hey, you know, are you the one, or is there somebody else? And so he, those doubts were caused by, I think, his circumstances, and we all deal with that, but also those unmet expectations that Jesus didn't measure up. And so Jesus, through his actions, proved who he was, that he was the Messiah. Even though it wasn't exactly just like the Pharisees didn't get it, that Jesus was going to be the suffering Messiah. So John didn't quite understand how Jesus was going to do his ministry. Um, and so Jesus demonstrated that ministry by healing people, by opening blind eyes, and all those different things. And then, though, then he went to phase two. And he's talking about, what do you do when you have a person who's struggling in their faith? And again... I, I still believe with all my heart, we don't know how to do that well. We really fail because often we, when someone fails in their faith or is weak in their faith, we want to give them a lecture or chuck a stone, one of the two. We want to tell them, you know, you know grab yourself by your bootstraps and pull yourself up. You know? It's kind of like a person who's depressed. You know, get over it. Well, if you understand depression, you don't get over it. It's, it's, a, it's a chemical often thing in your mind. You just don't get over depression. And so we want to tell people who are struggling in their faith to just get over it. And yet we see Jesus encouraging John, encouraging, speaking positively about John. And that's something we need to learn to do and do better, is that we need to encourage one another when we find those who are weak in their faith. And then he closes um, in verse, I think it's verse uh, 29 and 30, he closes by drawing to a decision. Uh, Jesus spoke for a decision in this particular case. And he, and he talked about uh, the ones who, who had trusted um, who had believed on John's teaching and turned from their sins and now were embracing Jesus Christ. But then in verse number 30, he talked about the scribes and the Pharisees. Now, there are two really important things I want you to take home tonight. And I'll tell you what they are, so you'll be sure and grab a hold of those and take them home because they're two really important points. But we, we start in verse number 30, looking at the Pharisees, okay? So the Bible, and again, we read this this morning. But since the Pharisees and experts in the law had not been baptized by him, John. In other words, what was John's message? Repent. In fact, if, repent and have actions, do, do things, evidence of repent. Not to repent, but let your repentance be evident. And again, that's a scary thing in the life of the church today is there's so many people say, I've trusted Jesus. I've turned from my sin, but there's really not an evidence that they've turned from their sin. 
And so Jesus is saying, they, you rejected the message of John that he's called us to a repentance as evidenced by a changed life. Again, you're not, you don't do those things to be changed, but because you are changed. And then it says they rejected the plan of God for themselves. Isn't that crazy? The most religious guys in the city rejected God's plan. And that is a real danger for us today. This is not one of the bigger points, but it is a point. It's we just so easy for us to get wrapped up in our religion and what we do, the things we call for, and we miss really what God is all about. David, the deep, deep love of Jesus. We miss God's amazing grace. We, we somehow in the back of our brain really want to pour in performance in there that when I do a good job, you know, God's up there going, yay, I love you. And then when I don't do a good job, God's up there smack, scowling and saying, I don't love you. And again, he's not a performance loving God. You can't earn his favor by your performance. You just can't do that. It's all about grace. And so the Pharisees, the guys who should have got it, totally missed it. So then Jesus leads into a story, and this is where we start fresh tonight. Here is what he says in verse 31. To what then shall I compare the people of this generation, and what are they like? Now, he's not talking about the ones who embraced John's baptism. He's not talking about the ones who understood about the message of repentance and doing um, actions that evidence, that show repentance. He's talking about the Pharisees. He's talking about the ones who totally based everything that they did on performance that somehow they, they believe by keeping the law, by doing good things, that they could earn God's favor. So he says, what should I, how should I compare this generation? Verse 32. He says, they're like children sitting in the marketplace calling to each other, we played the flute for you, but you didn't dance. We sang a lament, and but you did not weep. So imagine, if you will, and this is what Jesus is saying. Imagine they're in the marketplace, and there's a group of kids. And, and basically, they're, they're saying, hey, I'm going to play the flute, you sing. Or, or and, and on the negative side, um, we're going we're gonna to tell a sad story, Donna. We're going to tell a sad story, and we want you to be sad with us. But it's, it's more something we can really identify with is we say, hey, hey, let's play hide and seek. And they go, don't want to play hide and seek. Hey, hey, let's, let's um, play tag. Don't want to play tag. Jesus said the Pharisees were so negative and so stuck on what they thought was right that they refused to embrace God's wonderful plan. Jesus is saying, come to me. I've come to seek and to save that which is lost. And go, I don't want that plan. I want to be saved by doing the law. We're good and we're righteous. And nothing could be further from the truth. Amen. Nothing could. And yet that's how the Pharisees were. They rejected Jesus Christ because they had their own plan and their plan. Let's be good so God will accept us. Bad plan doesn't work. Amen? Bad plan doesn't work. Now, here's the first warning. Is that this is now... I want to be careful. This is, this is a light parallel to this scripture... What Jesus is saying here is, is the Pharisees are like children who say, come play. You're invited to come play. And the, fair, and the kids say, no. Jesus says, I want to reach into your life. And they say, no, thank you. I've got works. But here's what worries me. It's the church. With our Pharisaic attitudes. How many sermons do we hear? How many scriptures do we read? How many times does God speak to us through music? And it's like we go... No thanks. How many times has God in an invitation time pulled at your heart 
Now listen, this isn't a plug for this morning's message. But it was one of those times I went, God, what happened? You clearly spoke this morning. It was an invitation for hurting, broken people to come to the altar and pray. And like three people came. And it's like we almost tell God, hey, that, God, thank you for sending Dwayne or David or Brent or Billy Graham to preach a message. But, but thanks. Or, or we break open the word of God in our quiet time. And he shouts to us from heaven. And we go, thanks. Or David leads us in an incredible worship service where we sing about the deep, deep love and the amazing grace of God. And we go, okay. Now again, that's not what the scripture is saying in that context. I want to make that clear. But we must be careful of Pharisaic attitudes. Where God issues an invitation and we say no thanks. Listen, if God, if you're ever aware of a time when God is speaking to your heart... Do something. Do something. It's such an incredible... I had a friend come up from Cobden. You know, Thursday at noon, I had one of those funerals that... Funerals. That probably was very appropriate. That's a Freudian slip that probably was right. A a guy from Cobden called me and said, Would you do a a wedding for me at noon on Thursday? Yeah, I will. Could I help the kid grow up? Yeah, that's what I said. And when I got there, I... You got me now? There you go. All right. So when I got there, I could just tell something was wrong. It really was. They probably don't have business getting married to Manamu. In fact, he said something today about, yeah, she wasn't even going to sign the license. And I don't know all that was going on, but I've done enough to know something wasn't right. They even forgot the marriage license. So Daddy said they had it. They purchased it. They just forgot it at the house. And so um, Dad said, I'll bring it up Sunday. I knew him from, from previous days. And I'll, I'll come up. And uh, he met me after church. And he said, he said, Dwayne, this was not about a marriage license. This was the point with God with me today to respond to the message. He, he felt compelled to do something. God spoke clearly. He knew that he came to Dorisville because God wanted to say something to him. Now listen to me. God still speaks. And if you go through your life time after time after time... And if God is speaking to you, you need to pay attention. And if he calls you to some sort of action, some sort of decision, do something about it. You know, I, we often say, we teasingly say this. You know, we preachers preach sometimes. We'll go to pastor's conferences, and the speaker will say this to preachers. And we'll say something, he'll say something like this. It's like you guys are sitting out there talking to preachers. You guys are out there, and you got your arms crossed saying, okay, God, I dare you to bless me. How sad. How sad it is. So, so do not be careful that Pharisee attitude that, that says unintentionally, God, you ain't got nothing for me. You've got a Heavenly Father who loves you so much and wants to bless you abundantly. And when He takes the time to talk, we ought to listen. Now, I'm not saying I expect an altar full every week. That would be fine. That's dandy. I'm just worried that we've grown so accustomed to just growing cold to the Word of God, that we think a, a poem and a joke makes a good sermon, that we've not let God speak to our hearts. We need to be sensitive to the Word of God. 
We need to be sensitive to the worship of God. We need to be sensitive of the times with prayer to God. Would you say amen? amen? So take that home tonight. Apply that. I mean, I would hope, I would hope that we, if we don't do this, that we would learn to do this. I want to challenge you as your pastor. I want to challenge you as your pastor. Every time you show up, whether it's a Wednesday night or Sunday night or Sunday morning, I'm going to go that far first. I want to challenge you, pastor. Say, God, give me something today to take home and apply to my life. Then I want to challenge you one step further. Assuming you have a time with God, do the same thing. God, I'm just not out of road habit here to read my word, your word. I'm not here out of road habit to pray some kind of prayer. God, give me something today. I don't want to be a child standing in the marketplace going, what else you got? What else you got? So take that home tonight. Now, then he goes further, okay, and he speaks about John the Baptist again and himself. The Bible says this, verse 33. He says, talk about Pharisees. For John the Baptist did not come eating bread or drinking wine, and you say, the Pharisees, he has a demon. So, so here we have, you have on this spectrum over here, you have ultra-conservative John. You've got John living the Nazarene life. You've got John who doesn't drink. You've got John who doesn't do this. You've got John who doesn't do that. I mean, he was ultra-conservative. And the Pharisees look at him and go, you're just too conservative for us. And then over here he says this, the Son of Man, verse 34, has come eating and drinking. And you say, look, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, which, by the way, I pause and say, guilty as charged. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, yet wisdom is vindicated by our children. So you've got John over here, and the Pharisees are saying, you're just too conservative for us. Over here, you've got Jesus. They're calling him a libertine. They're calling him the friend of sinners, a drunkard and a glutton. They rejected both. All they were interested was, the only people right in their eyes was them. Be careful. And what Jesus is saying in verse 35 is, he's saying the following of the people vindicate who we are, who John was. You know, hey, Mr. Pharisee, I see people who were following John before I came. And hey, Mr. Pharisee, I see people following me in droves. Looks to me like your Sunday worship worship tenants is pretty low. You might want to check who's following you, Mr. Pharisee. It's kind of like, you know, the fellow who was fishing. And you know, and then one guy was catching all the fish in the world, and the other guy wasn't. And he said, you want to change bait? And he said, no, sir, no, I'm going to stick with this one. It's worked before. If no one's following what you're given, perhaps it's not the right thing. <laughs> Amen? So, so that's what he said. Wisdom will vindicate her children by her children. It'll be vindicated. Jesus will be proved the Messiah by the following of the people through his ministry. Then... It really hooks up nicely. The Bible simply says, Luke records, verse 36, then. So immediately following this, there's not a time left. Luke wasn't ever very good at indicating time. But but apparently, this was immediately following. So after Jesus gives this illustration about the kids and talking about, you reject John because he's conservative, and you reject me because I'm too liberal, you say. Then, of all things, the Bible says, one of the Pharisees invited him to eat with him. How crazy is that? I mean, that's like me looking at, at let's see if somebody can take it. Kathy, 
and say, Kathy, you're not a very nice person. And you say, then Kathy goes, you want to come to my house for supper? <laughs> you know, it's, it's crazy. So one of the Pharisees, one, Kathy, one of the guys he just slammed, says, well, you want to come to the house for supper? How crazy is that? So he entered the Pharisee's house and he reclined at the table. And you've heard me use this. I love this scripture, by the way. Here's a low table or a rug. And Jesus, you recline on your elbow. You recline on this elbow because you eat with your right hand. You're not supposed to eat with your left hand. And so he's eating with his right hand. And look what happens. The Bible says, and this was an open meeting, probably an open forum. And it was very common for people to come and stand around and watch these people eat. A woman in the town who was a sinner. Now, you've heard this enough. What was her occupation? Almost certainly, prostitute. So, so a prostitute of the local town shows up. Okay? Then the Bible says that she brought an alabaster jar of fragrant oil. How expensive? Way expensive. She, she brought this jar. She stood behind him at his feet. So he's laying out like this, stretched out. And she comes and stands at his feet. She starts to weep. Now, why is she weeping? And there's two schools of thought. One is that she has met Jesus and has already been forgiven of her sins, or she's coming in repentance in the atmosphere we talked about with John. She's feeling repentant of her sin, wanting to receive Christ. doesn't matter either one. doesn't change the story at all. But these are, these are genuine tears. These are tears of a heartbroken woman or, or a heart full of gratitude. And she began to wash his feet... With her tears. Now, ordinarily, you would anoint a man's head, but she anoints her his feet because probably she feels so unworthy. She wiped his feet with the hair of her head, continually, the Bible says, continually kissing them and anointing them with the fragrant oil. So are you getting the picture? So the local now, by the way, what would you do if the town prostitute showed up at church? Just a thought. The town prostitute shows up, goes over to Jesus. And begins crying and weeping over his feet, takes her hair, washes his feet, anoints his feet with this fragrant oil. And one of the commentaries said that perhaps that's what called attention. There had been a lot of people around, and perhaps in all the hubbub of all the people standing around, perhaps she wasn't noticed. But then the odor, the aroma arose. And guess who noticed? The Pharisee. Now what's he going to do? What are you expecting him to do? Going to chuck a rock. That's what Pharisees do. They chuck rocks. So when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, This man, if, if he were a prophet, this man, if he says, if he was, if he, who he is, what he says he is, this man would know something. He would know that the person who touches him, what kind of woman. Is, is that is touching him, that she's a sinner. I, the, the Pharisee says, if, if he really was the Son of God, if he really was God in the flesh, he would obviously know who it is that's touching him and what kind of person that, that this person is and that she's a prostitute. Now, rule number 27. Don't think things around Jesus. I mean, when you guys, you know when you're on the computer late at night and your wife's in bed and you're looking at things you shouldn't look? And no one knows. Surprise. He does. Come on. Why do always get quiet when I do that? Dave? It always gets quiet. I, I don't know. So, so Jesus, 
And once again, there are people who say, well, because Jesus was human in a body, he didn't have powers. Well, he read, he read Simon's mind. Simon, he says, I have something to say to you. And then he said, teacher, rabbi, so say it. And, and here's a great story. And this leads into the second point. A creditor had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, which is a very large debt, and the other 50 denarii, which was nothing to sneeze at. And since they could not pay it back, he graciously forgave them both. Pause. God's amazing grace. I want you to take that home. I'm going to nail it down. Jesus actually is going to nail it down in a few minutes. That is so huge, guys. Do you understand that the reason you're who you are today, if you are in God's favor, I know I've said it five times already, I'll say it one more time, it is because of God's amazing grace. You, listen, Shirley, you had a debt that you could not pay. Now, Shirley is a very nice person, okay, unlike Kathy Smith. <laughs> is that being recorded? Okay, that was a joke for the second recording, all right? But, but, but Shirley's a very nice person, but she had a debt she couldn't pay. So, so you take, take the very nicest person you've ever met. They had a debt they couldn't pay. Find the meanest person you've ever met. They have a debt they couldn't pay. I don't care where you call yourself, where you fall in the sinner category, whether you would call yourself, there's really no such thing, whether you call yourself a little sinner or a big sinner, I don't know. But regardless, I know this, you had a debt you couldn't pay. And what happened was, one day, if it happened like the Bible says in your life, you recognize the fact that you're a sinner separated from a holy God by your sin. You recognize the need to turn from your sin. And you believe that Jesus Christ was exactly who he says he was and he did what he did on the cross. That is, he atoned for your sins and you turned from your sin and chose to follow him. God graciously forgave you that unpayable debt. That's what happened. Now, if that didn't happen, you're lost in your sin. If that didn't happen, you're lost in your sin. But the story says, he graciously forgave them both. Now, watch this. So which of them, he says, in the middle of verse 42, which of them will love him more? The, the 50 denarii person or the 500 denarii person? Well, Simon said, well, I suppose the one he forgave them more. And then Jesus said, you have judged Correctly, he told him. Now, I'm sure the Pharisees are going, yeah, strike one up with the Pharisees. Jesus, zero, Pharisees, one. And then he turned to the woman. And he said to Simon, he, he looked at the woman and said to Simon, you see this woman? And, of course, the Pharisee goes, uh, yeah, that's the whole thing. See, she's in my house and she's a prostitute. And I'm holy and righteous in my eyes, and you obviously are not because you're letting her touch you. Yeah, the woman's the, yeah, I see the woman. Okay. What do you see about this woman? He goes, I entered your house, and you gave me no water for my feet. Now, you've heard this before, but allow me, please. Common courtesy. Middle Eastern common courtesy. When a person came into your house, they removed their shoes. And not you, most likely not you, because it's such a menial job. But a servant, a bond servant, a low servant would then wash your guest's feet. So, so he says, I don't understand, Mr. Pharisee. He says, you know, I came in here and you gave me no water for my feet. But you know what she's done? She, with her 
tears has washed my feet. And then she wiped it, not with a dirty rag, but the very hairs are in. Isn't that incredible? Marcia, isn't that incredible? Think about that. Mr. Mr. Pharisee, who knows all the rules, you didn't offer me water. You invited me to you invited me to come to your house for supper, and you didn't even give me water to wash my feet or have my feet washed. This woman, this, this prostitute person, you know, the one you're condemning, show me this great hospitality. No, it's beyond hospitality. This great love. Because she she wept. And as the tears fell on my dirty feet, she wiped my feet with the tears the hair of her head. And then he says, verse 45, and you know the custom. When I come in the house, and they still do this in a lot of the Middle Eastern countries, you've seen it. They kiss both sides of the cheek. Well, when, the, when Jesus came in the Pharisee's house, um, there was no kiss. Mr. Pharisee, you didn't, even, you didn't even do what's right and show common hospitality that way. And yet this woman has not stopped kissing my feet. Now, you get the picture there. This isn't just one kiss, but she continu- you've got to get this. She's just continually, as she weeps and wipes her hair on the feet of Jesus, kissing his feet. Get that picture? Isn't that just incredible? I mean, would you do it? Verse 46. You didn't anoint my head with olive oil. And again, olive oil was a very, well, not common. It was expensive, but not too expensive. And, and again, the common thing was as a, as a sign of refreshment, you would anoint the person's head. And you, and you didn't do that, and yet she's anointing me with this very, very, very expensive oil. Now, here's what you know, you know, Mr. Pharisee. Therefore, I tell you, her sins have been forgiven. That's why she loved much. Now, now she wasn't forgiven because she loved much. She loved because she had been forgiven. She understood what Jesus is either A, has done for her or is about to do for her, depending on which position you take. Either she met Jesus or she's fixing to be forgiven. It doesn't matter. But what I want you to grab is she was overwhelmed with love because of what Jesus had done or was fixing to do for her. She was overwhelmed with Jesus. And she says this, The one who has forgiven little, loves little. Then he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. Now, this is the second take home tonight. I don't want you to leave here going, Okay, I've got to, I've got to concentrate on what a worm I was. Was it at the cross that said, for such a worm as I? I don't want you to leave here going, okay, I'm a worm, I'm a worm, I'm a worm, I'm a worm. But what I do want you to do is I want you to understand, I don't care if you put yourself in the little center camp or the big center camp. I don't know if you've got a testimony that includes, I was raised in church and when I was seven, the preacher preached, and I felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit, and I've been in church ever since, praise God. Or you've got drugs, alcohol, prison, abuse, you name it. I don't care. I'm just telling you this. I want you to take home the fact that you were a sinner condemned to eternity in hell. And but by the grace of God, that's where you would be. 
And we understand grace and we understand what Jesus did for us of no merit of our own, that will help our love level go up. Because I honestly believe as Baptists particularly, because I are one, Baptists particularly, those of us who are the Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday nighters have a terrible tendency to look at God in our heart and go, pretty good, huh, God? And we totally forget that we were lost in our way to hell and Jesus found us, saved us, and forgave us. I want you to take that home, guys. I want you to fall in love over and over. And you know, I don't want you to, I'm not, I want you to, well, keep the rules if you want. And that's a good thing. But I don't, I'm, this is not a message about keep the rules. Keep, stop this and start this and stop this. And, and the Bible's got that. That's cool. I want you to leave here with the thought, I'm in love with my Savior because He forgave me. And my love is great for Him because of His amazing grace. That's what I want you to take home tonight. I want you to show up next week in church so excited about worship. So excited about being with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Because we're all there to celebrate the risen Son of God. That's what I want. I want us to can't wait to write a check or say yes to nominate committee. Not because you feel obligated, but because you're so in love with Jesus, you just got to do something for Him. That would thrill my heart and in my heart. God, in my life, let it be so. So passionate because I realize what He's done for me. And that's why this music we sing, David, is so important these days. That emphasizes the grace of God. That emphasizes the atoning work of Christ. That's why they're so important. It reminds us of what Jesus has done for us. Now, there was, of course, a little bit of a debate because there were those at the table with him who began to say, who is this that, that says he can forgive sins? You know what Jesus did with it? Ignored it. Instead, he looks to the woman and says this, your faith has saved you. Faith in what? In Jesus. Your faith in me has saved you. I love this. Three little words. Go in peace. Isn't that great? See, Jesus can give you something that religion or church or the world or toys or Walmart or whatever can't give you. Peace. So he looks at the woman who, was, who had the big scarlet letter on her forehead. The woman who could look around the room and go, I know him and him and him and him and him. The woman who knew the scorn of the entire town because of God's grace found peace. And that's the message of the gospel. That's the hope we have in Jesus Christ. And we need to let that be known loud. And we don't need to be a kid. What else you got, God? God, if you're not going to give me the toys, I won't. What else you got, God? We need to be the lady at the feet of Jesus, weeping, anointing, and wiping the feet of Jesus. Why? Because of God's amazing grace. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.